Hey there, welcome to another edition of the Live Wire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank. Fun show this week. We're going to be talking about trying to master new skills. Uh, since a lot of us are stuck at home, uh, maybe we can do a little self-improving in areas uh, like handwriting. Uh, we're going to get some tips from writer Drew McGarry, who has been working on his penmanship. Also, genius comedy person Demia Digi eBay is going to swing by. Uh, he wrote on the TV show The Good Place, and he basically breaks the internet every September 21st. We'll explain what's going on with that coming up. And we've got music from The War and Treaty. They are a soul duo. They are married. And Michael, the husband, actually learned how to play piano while deployed in Iraq on a piano that was once owned by Saddam Hussein. That really happened, and we're going to learn about it. It's all coming up on the Livewire House Party. Stick around. It gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How you doing? I am doing all right. How about you? I'm pretty great. Are you ready to do the show? Let's do it. Molly, are we recording? We're rolling. All right. Take it away, Elena. From PRX, it's Livewire. Recorded from our actual houses, welcome to the Livewire House Party. This week with comedian Demi Adigi-Ibe, writer Drew McGarry, and music from The War and Treaty. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, live and direct from a small room just off his kitchen, the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank! Yeah! Uh, thank you very much, Elena Passarello. Thank you, everybody out there in radio listener land. Uh, we have a fun show in store this week. Uh, the question that we asked the Livewire listening audience is, tell us about a seemingly small skill that you can never seem to master. Mm. Uh, people answered that question by way of social media, and um, we're going to be getting to some of those answers coming up on the show. First, though, Elena, what is a, a kind of a seemingly small skill that you can't seem to master? Okay, real talk. Uh, understanding aphorisms, like those kind of common sayings that people say. Mm -hmm. Half the time when people give me one, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Uh-huh. Yes, you can. Because if I had some cake and I took a piece out of it and I ate it, I would still have cake. 
You know? That's a that's a good point. That whole thing is predicated on the idea that one person would eat an entire cake right. in a sitting and then have no cake. Yeah. Or like uh hindsight is twenty twenty. No, it's mm-hmm. not. Nobody ever remembers anything right. Hindsight is 50-50 at best. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't know anyone with 20-20 hindsight vision, but everybody always says that. And the other one is, I made my bed, and now I have to lie in it. So? Of course. Yeah. It's the best time to lay in your bed. That's what a bed is for. It's like, I bought my car, and now I have to drive it. Like, (laughs) never makes any sense to me. <laughs> yeah, like just add I washed my sheets and you're describing a perfect evening. Yeah. I washed my sheets, I made my bed, and now I'm gonna lie in it. I mean, that's basically heaven on earth. That sounds great. Miller time. Let's go. How about you? Are you what small skill do you have mm. a hard time mastering? Mine is a little more prosaic. I'm a 44-year-old man and I still am not very good at shaving. Huh. Like it looks I, hard. It looks really hard. I have Every t- I mean, I've been shaving for, I don't know, 30 years of my life or something now. And every time I- it's time for me to shave, it is an adventure <laughs> because I always <laughs> nick something. I miss an area. And the great irony in this, Elena, is that I am extremely non suit. I am like one of those hypoallergenic cats that people buy. <laughs> like I have almost no, like I'm, look, I'm up in the Zoom. It's like a little powdered sugar donut. Just a tiny, <laughs> I have almost no facial hair. And yet when it's time for me to address the situation with a razor, about 80% of the time it goes wrong. I'll be like ready to do a TV story. You know, I'm in a hotel room and there's like some very, uh, you know, probably a beautiful Hollywood person I'm going to go interview. And I will just shred 40% of my cheek off m- moments before I have to go do that. And like the more that I try to not do it, the worse it gets. Well, you know what they say, you grew your beard and now you have to shave it. <laughs> yep. That old, that old chestnut. That actually sure. makes more sense to me than the bed thing. So I think we really right. did some good work. I do have a master's degree in words. And uh, it's all been on full display so far, <laughs> this episode of the show. What is the Livewire audience saying are some seemingly small skills that they can't seem to master? Oh, we have so many great answers this week. Here's one from Allison. False eyelashes. Oh, yeah. Have you ever had to put on false eyelashes in your life? I have not um, ever done that. Have you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think most women have, and and I did theater for a while, but um, I don't know who thought that it was something that uh, the majority of the population can do. And I watch a lot of drag queens on YouTube, and they are really good at it. It must be distracting because, you know, your eyelashes are what they are, and Mm -hmm. your eyes are used to that, and suddenly you have these Mm -hmm. lepidoptera just like <laughs> living on the outside of your eyeballs, right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like that would be really disorient. And they're really hard to get straight. So the majority of the time, if you're unskilled, it looks like you have like this strange caterpillar, like kind of creeping sideways down your eyelid. <laughs> All right, what else? Okay, here's one hmm, from Cat Adopt. And the small skill that Cat Adopt has had a difficult time mastering, catching that red dot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this this is written from the perspective of a cat. Yeah, I mean, and if I was a cat, I would be really mad at that red dot. I, I feel so bad for my cats when I do the laser pointer thing because, you know, when you stop playing, it just goes away and they don't feel like they've successfully hunted. So I always make the red dot go under the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. I think everybody has a system. It's probably, uh, you know, apocryphal, but I had read somewhere that if you don't let the cat catch... <laughs> 
the dot, they will lose their mind. <laughs> like Aww. you have to create some finality to the experience yeah. for them or else they're just going to be up at night just thinking about that dot. <laughs> All right. Speaking of uh, small skills, but maybe not so small, I don't know. Let's get our first guest over here to the house party. Uh, you might know him from the column he wrote at deadspin.com or the new site that he's one of the co-founders of called Defector Media or maybe from one of his uh, books. We're not here to talk about any of that stuff. We're here to talk about a much more attainable accomplishment, which is improving his handwriting, which is what he has been trying to do. Drew McGarry, welcome to the Livewire House Party. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. How would you describe your handwriting uh, before you embarked on this uh, handwriting improvement project? Uh, bad. It was very <laughs> bad. <laughs> it was embarrassing. I, I, have, I have three kids. Or eight, eleven to fourteen, their handwriting was literally better than mine. And like <laughs> it looked it looked like a failed child's handwriting. It didn't look like a grown-up when I wrote. And like I, you know, I'm 43. I do want to look like a grown-up sometimes. I don't want to always be like, I'm a kid at heart. <laughs> it's embarrassing because I'm a writer, you know, by trade. Of course I'm not, because I I I don't handwrite any anything I do. Uh and also like I take notes in a notebook, you know, to to see what I'm gonna write later. Could not read my own notes because they were so illegible. And like, and like, if I put stuff on the grocery list, like my wife, like it, you know, it's like a, it's like a guessing game. Like it might be graham crackers, it might be ginseng, it might be just, <laughs> just a total mystery. Well, let me ask a question about you suffered a brain hemorrhage. You were hospitalized. You were in an induced coma. Did that? Make, was your handwriting much worse after that? And is that part of why your handwriting was sort of so bad before you did this? No, no. If you looked at my handwriting, you would say like, oh, yeah, that guy definitely had a terrible brain injury. But no, it was it was always that bad. And in fact, none of my uh, – knock on wood, but um, even though I had a lot of residual lasting effects from my hemorrhage, like I'm half deaf, I can't smell, uh, my taste was altered. Okay, hemorrhage is technically a stroke, but I didn't have any facial droop. Um, I didn't, um, have any strange twitches. Uh, you know, my, all of my motor functions, mm. I had to go PT for it, but all of my motor functions essentially were intact after the fact. So it had, the, the stroke had no impact on your handwriting. It was just terrible. Yeah, to start no, with. it's just awful. I have no excuse. <laughs> this is the Live Warehouse Party. We're talking to Drew McGarry. Uh, he wrote a piece for Medium's magazine called Forge, called You Are Your Handwriting, where he set out on a mission to improve his handwriting. Um, what did you actually start to do to try to fix it? Like, what was the what was the procedure? Uh, it's like everything else these days. I watched YouTube's. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I just... It's, you know, like YouTube is the ninth circle of hell in a lot of ways. But like if you want to, like for very basic self-improvement needs or like how-to stuff and how to like fix stuff like for house, I use YouTube all the time, mm-hmm, all the time. Mm-hmm. So like, so I watched YouTubes of proper handwriting. I read about proper handwriting technique. I printed out worksheets, you know, just like I was back in doing phonics class in second grade and, you know, writing along the dotted lines and then practicing after I traced the dotted lines, like writing the letters on my own and keeping everything within the lines. Because before that, even though I write in a line notebook, the lines really didn't mean anything to me. I was breaking out all over the place. It just, there was no, there was no border patrol on my page. Um, people say that handwriting doesn't really matter uh, because we all use phones and our computers and stuff, but you write in this piece that there's actually some uh, some evidence around the like cognitive development that comes from having good handwriting or thinking about your handwriting. 
Yeah, I'm not sure it necessarily comes from having good handwriting, but being able to write with your hands, you know, not to get too too deep in the weeds here, but uh, a cognitive connection between your brain and your hand that's made when you write. You're learning to arrange your thoughts by hand in physical form, and that's very valuable to your brain in the long run. Is it that it slows you down so that you have to kind of like connect the, your speech mechanism to your communications mechanism? I'm sure that's part of it. I am not... Uh, I'm not a scientist. I'm not sure. <laughs> You're not a rocket <laughs> surgeon. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that is part of the problem, though, because part of my handwriting problem was that I wrote too fast because I was so annoyed. I found the act of writing by hand so tedious. I just wanted it done with. Mm-hmm. So I'd write a word as fast as I could. I didn't put any thought and care into the job because I didn't want to. I felt like at 43, I was excused from having to like pay attention to my handwriting because mm-hmm. I wasn't a an elementary school student anymore. <laughs> well, you said in the piece that, that you did something that I do all the time, which is you you left letters out. I mean, there's not a more stressful experience for me than sitting down to write a birthday card or an anniversary card. I now buy two cards or I like practice in advance <laughs> because I drop, I drop letters. Yeah. I, I, it's, I don't know what's going on in my brain, but that's something that was happening for you too. Yeah. I would, I would miss a letter or yeah, I would like I would start writing the next letter too quick because my brain would be ahead of ahead of myself. I would switch letters like a very very mild dyslexic tick, or you know, or something like that. And yeah, it sucks. Like when you're doing something like inscribing a book, which I have done. Like I wrote the book and then I defaced the book by signing, you know, a, a dedication to, you know, to Bob. But I spell it B B O, and then like I had to cross it out and write it again. <laughs> Uh, this is the Livewire House Party uh, from PRX. We're talking to Drew McGarry. He wrote a piece for Medium's Forge magazine called You Are Your Handwriting about trying to improve his handwriting uh, as an adult. we got to take a quick break, but we will be right back, so don't go anywhere. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm-hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content, uh, and Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm-hmm. here to talk about is you keeping Livewire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels it does not matter how much you are giving every month to Livewire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank at my house in Bellingham, Washington. Elena Passarello. 
down there in Corvallis. And uh, Drew McGarry is joining us. Drew is the uh, author of the forthcoming book, Point B, A Teleportation Love Story. Uh, He's the co-founder of this great sports and culture blog, Defector. And he also wrote a piece for Medium's Forge magazine called You Are Your Handwriting about trying to fix his handwriting because you didn't like how it sort of was representing you in the world. Uh, Where did you start as far as specifically fixing the handwriting? Like you write in this piece that you learned that things need space and that you got to think about each letter, right? When you're trying to write things out. Yeah, yeah. That was part of what I had written. And I wish I had specific places to cite, but of course... I didn't write them down. <laughs> I, I, I visited I visited the links and then I, I went through it and I retained what I could retain and then I printed out the sheets and, and did the exercises that way. And so mm-hmm. it was it was haphazard. You know, I mean if I had really done it properly, I would have gotten like a tutor and all that stuff. But obviously there's a pandemic out, so I can't have a house call from a tutor and a mass. Did it actually work? Has your handwriting improved? My handwriting is improved, but honestly. It is not improved. I would like it's not night and day. Like it's not like I, you know, it doesn't look like Japanese calligraphy. Right now. Like it's not <laughs> right. like flawless. But the one thing I did do was it was clear I wrote capital letters better than lowercase letters, and so I switched to all caps. And <laughs> in that, I'm able to keep the letters separate as opposed to having them, uh, you know, sort of slur together on the page. Mm. Um, and and each letter is recognizable. So, you know, like like when I wrote like a lowercase I, like sometimes it looked like a dot. Or, you know, if I wrote like a <laughs> like an E, like sometimes the, the loop wouldn't be like pronounced and it would look like a C. Like it was just that bad. So just swearing off lowercase altogether, which is very, very fitting for me because I use all caps as a crutch when I write online. Ah. Uh, <laughs> it right. does it, now, does it mean like when you write a, you know, a birthday card to your kid, does it now come off like you're yelling at them because it's all caps? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I don't think so. Yeah. I think I think that the more it's not like writing on the internet. The more people are attuned to your style, they get the they get the the nuances of of what you're trying to say, and and they can infer tone. It's it's actually it's very hard in type to do that it's it may be a bit easier in handwriting Mm -hmm. but uh in in my case you know i've had to fix my handwriting and with that will come me being patient about how that handwriting is received well that's what i was going to ask as well if this isn't really a conversation just about life in that there are a lot of things that we're rushing through there's a lot of things that if we took a breath and took a moment with, we'd probably get a better result. It seems like it's a bit of a metaphor for a lot of things in life. Well, I think there's a particularly bad American tick um, where people are very proud to be unapologetic about things, particularly their their own faults, where it's like their faults are somehow a charming characteristic of them. Don't blow this for me, McGarry. This is my <laughs> this is my entire lifestyle. You know, and it's it's this sort of false empowerment. You know, it's it's sort of people, um, you know, being told to accept themselves and love themselves unconditionally when perhaps they have some work to do. And you know, that's true of handwriting. That's true of a lot of other things. Handwriting is like the most benign uh, of those oversights, I would say. Well, um, I am not going to try to make a case for why my bad handwriting is charming. And uh, Elena and I are actually, we're going to embark on a sort of self-improvement challenge. Elena, how is your handwriting, by the way, General? You're a professor at Oregon State University. I assume you have beautiful handwriting. 
No, it's it's a. I get a lot of like uh, photos emailed to me from students okay. with the text. What is this? All what right. I've written in their marginal comments. I give myself about a C minus. Really? It hurts my hand now. Like that's my issue. Is it's, I've got a flabby writing muscle. I guess. Well, we're gonna develop it this week. Uh, what we're gonna do before the next episode of Livewire is, uh, Elena, you and I are gonna do some of these worksheets as well and try to improve our handwriting. And then we're going to put the results, the before and after results up on the uh, Livewire social media channels. People can vote on this. Um, and I guess we're going to, what is this sentence that we're going to write, Elena? This is like a very English professor sentence. We're going to write, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. Why is that always like the go-to sentence for English and grammar? That's all the letters. That's right. What? A plus. Wow. It's a sentence that uses every single letter in the alphabet. Okay, uh, so uh, we're going to do that. And I think I'm going to follow your lead, Drew, which is I don't, I'm not going to try to write cursive because mm. uh, I, I don't even know how to make a Z in cursive. Any, and honestly, I don't think I even did in grade school. <laughs> uh, Drew McGarry's uh, new book is Point B, A Teleportation Love Story. Uh, he's a writer at the sports blog Defector and the proud owner of completely legible handwriting. Drew, thanks for coming on the house party, man. (laughs) Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Elena. (laughs) That was Drew McGarry right here on the Livewire house party. And you can also find his essay about handwriting. It's up on Forge, which is a publication of Medium. Uh, We're going to link to it on Facebook and Twitter, by the way. We're also going to be posting updates on our attempts (laughs) to improve our handwriting. So make sure you keep a close eye on the Livewire social media channels to see how we're doing on that. This is the Livewire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, Of course, we're on Zoom talking to each other. This is all being recorded for our radio show. And the people who listen to that radio show, the Livewire listeners, are gracious enough to answer a question each week for us. Uh, This week we asked, tell us about a seemingly small skill you can never seem to master. What are the listeners saying? Okay, so usually when we do these audience card questions, we have one repeat answer, like one thing Mm -hmm. that gets mentioned by three or four people. There were three answers that I saw, each one at least five times. Um, Three small skills that it seems a lot of people are having a hard time mastering. Okay. Um, One of them involves whistling with both your fingers in your mouth, like, you know, Uh, that... uh... Yeah, I can't do that either, but I can do a loon call with my hands. Do you want to hear this? This is going to be questionable radio. (laughs) Here we go. Learned that at old Loon Lake. That's very good. The greater Spokane, Washington area. Okay, so whistling, people can't do that like gym coach whistle. No. And then what else? Uh, Various uh, kinds of cooking eggs, making a perfect soft-boiled egg, making Mm -hmm. a perfect hard-boiled egg. And then there's another kind of egg. Oh, cracking eggs without getting the shell in the bowl. Yes. I mean, uh, uh, the kind of poached eggs that you see in pictures. So eggs are really confounding a lot of LiveWire listeners. I went on a big poached egg odyssey myself (laughs) where I wanted to learn how to poach an egg in water. Mm -hmm. And it involves like, I think you put a little vinegar in there or something. I made it a goal at one point (laughs) to 
to try to figure out how to like poach the perfect egg. And I got pretty close. Ooh. And then I stopped eating like <laughs> eggs and meat and <laughs> most animal <laughs> products. And so it was kind of a useless skill. If any of the listeners need me to come over and poach an egg for them, I will do oh. it. It's a service I provide. So kind of you. All right. Okay. What, what else are the listeners uh, finding challenging, even though it's supposed to be a simple skill? By far the most frequent challenge listed was folding a fitted sheet. Like 30 people answered for that one. I would argue that that's not a simple skill. Right. No, it is. It's kind of like weird origami. Yeah. It's magic. It's magic meets origami. Do you not know how to do it? I have watched probably over (laughs) 10 YouTube videos on it and am no closer to understanding the mechanics of it. And now I just mostly pile them up in a ball. Mm -hmm. I keep my fitted sheets now in the dryer. I just don't even take them out. I just like, and then when I have to wash clothes, I throw them on the bed and then I put them back in when it's over. It's just a fitted sheet container now because it's it's pointless. That's a good life hack. (laughs) Leave the laundry in the dryer until you're ready to deal with it. (laughs) Just the fitted sheets. Everything else gets a nice crisp fold though. Our next guest appears to have mastered every skill that has been thrown his way. Uh, Demi Adichie eBay is a writer, comedian, uh, and performer. A lot of people found out about him on Vine, where he was making all kinds of cool comedy clips under the name Electro Lemon. Uh, then he took his comedy over to Twitter and YouTube. He was also the co-host of the popular podcast Gilmore Guys. He's written for NBC's The Good Place and The Late Late Show with James Corden. Uh, these days, uh, he is working on the Amber Ruffin Show, which just <gasps> debuted on Peacock. Woo-hoo. And we are so excited to finally have him here on Livewire. Demi Adigi eBay, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Woo-hoo. Uh, where are uh, you joining us from right now? I'm joining you from Los Feliz in Los Angeles, California. Um, you were born in London and grew up mostly in Dallas. That's correct. Uh, what what kind of what kind of kid were you? Were you really comedy obsessed, music obsessed? Like, what were you into? I was not music obsessed at all. Uh, I I was kind not comedy obsessed really. I feel like I got into comedy mostly as a uh, a defense mechanism mm-hmm. in a large way. Just being like, oh, I'm I I stand out too much from everyone. I need a, a thing to make myself uh likable and then i also got really into the simpsons and was like the simpsons is everything to me which i think is uh, one of the reasons i got really into comedy writing and i think a lot of the reasons a lot of people my age got into comedy writing just being like well can we do that mm-hmm. uh but yeah I, I it's weird i i don't have any history of musicality or anything whatsoever i just kind of was like really this seems fun yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's a. Uh- that's actually difficult to hear because you seem really good at it. And I assume that like, you know, your parents are musicians or you were like classically trained. This is nope. just yet another thing that you've picked up a lot, like along with painting. Have you <laughs> st- I, I, I saw that GQ article that you just decided to teach yourself how to paint during quarantine. Yeah. Well, painting is different because it's like you can just make mistakes and paint over it. And it looks like you're just doing it so confidently and you can just paint mm-hmm. in layers. And it's it's very fun if you're able to take the time. But with music, it's also like, I think I'm a good tinkerer. I think I'm a good mimic of things. And so with music, it's mostly like, it's not even just like, oh, I can play these instruments as much as it is just like, I have learned how to compose digitally. And I think uh, a lot of that is just being isolated as a kid and just like really teaching myself how to use different computer tools. And But also having a vague interest in music. Uh, I remember in fourth grade, I uh, spent a lot of my lunches and recesses just being like uh i'm not gonna go to lunch i'm just gonna go sit in the music room and tinker on the piano just trying to learn how to play specifically the entertainer uh and then <laughs> the, past- the scott joplin 
number? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I I feel like I can get this down. And when I did, it was like, you'd think I'd move on to another song. It's like, no, I'm just going to get really good at this one song. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Livewire House Party. Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We're talking to Demi Adigibe, a writer and a comedian, and I think highly proficient musician hmm. um, who makes all kinds of cool, interesting things on, on the internet, uh, including these videos uh, that you've been putting out for like the last five years around the 21st of September, yeah. where it's they're getting more elaborate each year. We're just like a really involved dance number with other people coming into the sort of frame. It looks like it's all kind of one shot. And it's to this like edited version of the song September by Earth, Wind and Fire, so that it just keeps going into the 21st night of September part. Like, how did that start for you? So the very first time it happened, I think, was 2016, and uh, my roommate at the time, my friend Ben, had seen on Twitter that people were talking about, oh, it's the 21st night of September, like in that song. And I was just sort of like, oh, okay. And he mentioned it to me, and I was like, it'd be very funny if the song just said it was the 21st night of September and didn't <laughs> mention anything else. And I was like, well, I do a little like music uh like mix sort of edit things. Uh, I, I, I'm going to do it myself. And I did it and I managed to do it pretty quickly. And I was like, okay, what do I do with this though? So I went quickly into my room and like, I found a, uh, like a, just a blank gray shirt that I had. And I had a bunch of stencils and some paint and I just made a shirt that said <laughs> September 21st. That's today on the back. And I just like did a little dance to it. And so I was mm -hmm. like, all right, I'll just post it. And then it, uh, it was a lot more of a hit than I expected. And, people just started mentioning it to me more uh, as the next September 21st approach. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'll do something else again. And then I was like, how do I up it? And I just kind of uh, was like, well, I've got some things I can put up around the house and maybe I'll do this and do this other thing. And I just got really into the production side of just making this video more of a thing. And then from the point I did a second video, it was just like, everyone's like, so you're going to do this every year, right? And I was like, right. oh, oh uh, I, I guess I have to. Oh. And here we are. And now they're like big budget musicals. Like they have like <laughs> confetti yeah. and backup singers and uh, I don't want to spoil Mariachis. it. Yeah. yeah, they've got a, they've gone way out of hand. It's starting to feel more and more like uh, actual directing and actual like production. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's right. cool. Now, how do I up that even further? Because it feels like pulling off the trick is uh, the most fun part about it. So I'm like, all right, well. I, I I need to just figure out how to pull out a bigger trick. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I'm kind of curious how your jokes or your ideas tend to come about for you. I'm thinking of the thing that's pinned at the top of your Twitter page right now. And it's like you in a bathroom and you're just wearing kind of like a cropped shirt and some shorts and the song Tiny Dancer by Elton John is playing <laughs> and you're scrolling up. And what we realize is that you have written on the wall above the, the door frame, right as he's getting into the hold me close tiny dancer part, it's you've written homie clothes so tiny damn son and it, and it it's you exa it's exactly like that's what Elton John is singing that has two and a half million views like how where does that even start in your brain as an idea <laughs> I I'm even trying to remember how that happened I think it was that uh I was listening to the song and uh I know a lot of people have like misheard lyrics of like hold me closer Tony Danza for that mm -hmm. song and I was just sort of like I feel like it's like 
half a step away from some other thing. And I just kept being like, home oh, closer, time and just like making it more abstract as I was singing it. And as I was saying that, I think I stumbled on homie clothes so tiny damn damn so and i was like okay that kind of sounds like this other thing and so i was just like how do i make this uh joke visible uh because i I was like "Uh, it's not as fun to just tweet that it sounds like this i was like how do I make this joke visible so i was like well i have this tiny shirt and i can just wear shorts and like just tiny clothes and i just write (laughs) it on the mirror and i'll just like reveal it as it's playing and it felt just like natural amazing <laughs> we're talking to Demi Adigibe, uh writer and comedian. Um, you were one of the writers on The Good Place, That's which right. I think is just one of the best TV shows in in a long, long time. Just the comedy is so high on it, but also the kind of larger philosophical questions about humans and religion and why we do what we do. Did you feel like when when you were writing there, did it feel in the writer's room like, oh, we're trying to make something that's like extra special as opposed to just making a sitcom? It definitely felt uh, heightened. Um, I don't, it's like, it was definitely trying to be like, well, we're making a sitcom, but we don't want it to just be a sitcom. We want it to be like something special. And I think uh, the serialized nature of that first season was uh, something that I was not expecting even when I took the job. To be perfectly honest, when I accepted the job, I didn't know what the show was. And I was just sort of like, (laughs) I mean, it's Mike Schur. It's the crew from Parks and Rec. I will take this job, whatever it is. It was my favorite show on TV. And I was like, I I, I can't believe these people are going to be my coworkers. And then uh, on that first day, uh, I walked in and they were talking about like character relationships and they had all these charts on the wall. And I was just sort of like, I don't know what we're talking about. And then he pulled me into his (laughs) office and was just sort of like, all right, let me explain what this show is. And then he told me about the premise and I was like, oh, that's cool. And he told me about the ending and I was like, oh, okay, that's very cool. (laughs) It felt so like, yeah, that's how TV shows should work to me, where it's like you have a beginning and an ending and you are trying to make uh, Mm -hmm. the middle parts like a puzzle piece. Uh, Mm. But also they're not sacrificing jokes to do this. And Mm -hmm. the nature of the world is also uh, means that our jokes can be a lot crazier than uh, I think the average sitcom can be, which is very fun because it was like writing a live action cartoon that was also trying to make some serious points about death and uh, goodness. And I was just yeah. like, this is such a insane crossroads of things that like, I, I can't believe I, I'm so lucky to get to work on this as my first writing job. It's deep. Yeah. <laughs> that first season uh, was all based on uh, this French play, No Exit, which reading that was sort of like uh, just very helpful in trying to figure out what Mike was trying to do with the the show. And then I wasn't in the future seasons, but I know that they actually had like philosophers talk to them over Zoom and like do mm. lectures about uh, different elements. And I think that you can tell from the way that the future seasons progressed that they were getting more into the philosophy of it and just being like, well, we can't just keep this going as like... Uh, a joke bucket without sort of exploring further the nature of uh, the afterlife. And so I think that they definitely lean more into it in a way that I am just so impressed with and was just so delighted to watch. Um, You're now uh, writing for this, the new Amber Ruffin show, which is uh, on Peacock. What are you, what are y'all doing there? What are you guys trying to create? Oh man, it's, it's so fun. It's a late night show uh, that is essentially just comedy and uh like monologues and bits and it's like we don't really have any guests uh it's produced under the veil of covid so we had to figure out what that means and it's really just sort of like 
a late night show that just gets to be all the fun, uh, but still tries to tackle uh, heavy issues. Uh, our writer's room is entirely black, predominantly oh. queer. Uh, it's very interesting to be in a room like this and to speak to the voice of someone like Amber. She's at this intersection of uh, like blackness and being a woman where there are so many shows that really can't tackle either of those things so head on because it's like hosted by a white man or mm-hmm. it's just on a network where they're like, just keep it light and whatnot. And so getting to be on like a essentially a premium network where it's like you get a lot more leeway with the things that you get to do and also getting to tackle serious issues head on is very uh, fun and uh, allows us to go places that I didn't think I'd ever get to go on a show like this. And also everyone is just so funny and wonderful and Amber is the best. I've been such a fan of hers for years. Uh, so this was a dream when she was like, I want you to work on the show. And it's just been so lovely. The only downside is I'm sitting in my room as I write and not in New York with them all. And I'm just like, oh, I would love to just be in there <laughs> with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. hopefully we get a season two and I can go over to New York and hug everybody and pitch all my bad ideas in person. <laughs> have you had any, I know the show is still pretty uh, young, but have you had any really great jokes that haven't made it that you were bummed about? That's another thing. I, I'm like, it's it's shocking how little of my things get rejected. And I'm like, mm, is it just because the room nice. is so small that we need everything? <laughs> it's also uh, because no one wants to sit on a Zoom for ages. It's just sort of like uh, we'll be mm. given assignments, then go off to do our assignments and come back and read them all together and laugh together. Like it's the Amber Ruffin show, but it feels like our voices are so distinct and uh, like strong in the show. Uh, I I wrote a very crazy bit that I think is going to be in the next episode that involves uh, the TV show Monk. And I was like, all right, they're not going to enjoy this. And everyone laughed so hard at it. And it's like it hasn't been edited. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You can just kind of do anything on Peacock. (laughs) Well, we'll uh, turn you loose from this uh, interminable Zoom call, Demi. But we appreciate you making the time today to be on the Livewire house party. Of course. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for talking with me. That was Demi Adigi-Ebe right here on the Livewire House Party. Elena, I have to say, it so delighted me that you didn't know about those September 21st videos <gasps> until we were prepping to talk to Demi. And then you were just sending, as you were watching them, it was like a real-time <laughs> narration via text message of like how excited you were about the video. I, I can't say anything because I don't want our listeners not to have the experience that I had uh-huh. watching this grow over the years. And then the total deflation of knowing that I got to watch four years in about, you know, two minutes. And now I have to wait a whole another year for the next installment. <laughs> they are definitely worth uh, checking out. Also, by the way, Demi is writing on the Amber Ruffin show yeah. these days. It's on Peacock right now. And definitely do follow him on Twitter over at Electro Lemon. Our musical guests this week are a husband and wife duo that Rolling Stone calls one of Nashville's most thrilling new acts. Michael Trotter learned to play piano during his military service in Iraq. Uh, It was a way to cope with the extreme trauma that he was experiencing over there. Um, And then when he came home, he started playing at music festivals, uh, which is where he met Tanya, a fellow musician. Eventually they got married. And now they are the War and Treaty. They've collaborated with Emmylou Harris, toured with Al Green, and even performed at the 2020 Grammys. And now they are joining us here on the Livewire House Party. Tanya and Michael, welcome to the show. Hey. Hey, how are you? (laughs) Uh, How are you two? Where where are you joining us from today? 
home. We're at home. <laughs> Which is All the way in Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, wonderful. Um, Michael, I know that you've told this story endless numbers of times, but it is fascinating. And for the listeners to our show that haven't heard it, the story behind how you actually learned how to play piano is really something. Could you kind of share that with us? Yeah. Um, they looked at me when I got into Iraq and realized that I uh, was the weakest link. I was one of the soldiers out of 973 at the time who absolutely did not want to be in Iraq. Wow. I didn't want to be there fighting. I didn't want to do anything. I wasn't patriotic. I'm like, what in the heck have I done? I've screwed my life up. What was me? And in order to calm me down, they read in my file that I am a music freak, that I love music. And it just so happens that one of the palaces that we bombed happened to be Saddam's son. But it was inherited. Mm -hmm. So it belonged to Saddam. Mm -hmm. But um, Saddam had this piano in the basement. It was an upright black piano. And um, I went down there and and they told me, hey, on your off time, whenever you feel worried and afraid, come down here and find home. So I taught myself how to play the piano on Saddam Hussein's piano. And you did not play any piano before this point. Like, you were just, like, doing chopsticks and, like, hitting a couple of keys. What would you start you know, out with? I'll be honest with you. My mother put me in piano lessons, mm. and I was in it for uh, half a day. <laughs> so you had half a day of piano lessons under your belt. Yes. And the instructor called my mother and convinced her with, with great words that we can't use on air that <laughs> I was not a good student. <laughs> she needs to come get me. But, you know, um, I come from a musical family. My grandmother, on my mother's side, she plays the piano. And my uncle Zelbert plays on my father's side. And as I, as, when I was a little baby boy, I would mimic their movements and the sounds with my mouth. Mm-hmm. And I would play the back of the church pews. Like, <laughs> and I would do that with my mouth as like this little baby. And everyone just thought it was very interesting. You're still doing it. <laughs> and 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 Tanya, I know that the the music that that Michael's created, that you've created together, uh, a lot's been talked about about the emotional journey for Michael with PTSD and, and and things like that. For you, though, I'm wondering what's the emotional component of making music with your husband as as the war and treaty? Really, just being vulnerable mm. and being able to tap into the deeper levels of myself and the deeper levels of the lyrical content that we come up with. Um, because, you know, I think we all at some point get sad or, you know, have been slightly depressed or, mm-hmm. you know, but it's very different when you're dealing with a, a combat veteran who deals with combat PTSD. You know, mm-hmm. there's a level of compassion that you have to have and you have to go deeper in yourself to find that, you know, It's been a great journey for me, a learning journey for me as well, uh, to learn myself, to learn the deepest levels of myself, and to learn Michael as we go along with these songs. And it's just amazing to me how many songs he can come up with and how much of the music that we make together is therapy, not just for him, but for me as well. All right, we have to take a very quick break. Uh, I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, This is the Live Wire House Party. Uh, Don't go anywhere, though, because when we come back, we are going to hear a song from the War and Treaty. Stay with us.
Special thanks this episode to Steve Berard of Seattle, Washington, and Carrie Bouchard of Fort Worth, Texas. Steve and Carrie are part of the Livewire member community. They are generously supporting the show with a donation each month, which we are extremely thankful for. It is how we are able to do this thing week in and week out. So a huge thanks to Carrie and Steve. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. Uh, before we get back into this interview with the musical duo, The War and Treaty, just want to mention that the conversation you're about to hear uh, does discuss the effects of PTSD, uh, including suicidal thoughts. So a heads up on that. Um, all right. Let's get back to our chat with The War and Treaty. You're going to play a song for us. What are we going to hear? Well, um, we're going to actually play a song called Five More Minutes. There's a story behind this song, as there seems to be for all yeah. of your music, right? What, what's, what's the story on this one? You know, and it's so, it's so weird because I'm starting to see a pattern here. That every story is sad, but it's okay. <laughs> you know, that's why we want to, <laughs> that's why we want to yeah. liven things up a tad. But no, there is a, a story. In 2017, I was done with failure. I was ready to, to end my life by suicide and... Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't thinking about the state it would leave my wife and son in. I was just thinking about uh, how they could financially get some sort of break, mm. and that's the thing I haven't I haven't explained to other interviewers. But I would say, you know, life insurance money. I mean, mm-hmm. I had tried everything as a male, as a man, and as a husband and a father, and I just kept getting slapped in the face, mm. door shut, mm. and I was tired. So somehow love snitched on me and told my wife that, hey, this idiot over here is planning to do something kind of crazy that would alter this family. And my wife then notified the Albion Police Department, small town in Albion, Michigan. And they came to my home and a wife let them in. And I was sitting on the stairs and she walked over to me. Uh, and I had tears in my eyes. I was flooded. And she got on her knees in between my legs and grabbed me by my face and said, honey, I know you've got this idea in your head of when you want to do this. I know you're tired, but I need five more minutes to love you. Mm. Please, just five more minutes. She would say, stay with me. Don't leave just yet. Just stay with me. Five more minutes. That's all I need. And the police They were like, come on, Michael, listen to her, man. Five minutes, you know. And I feel it's important for our for the listeners and our fan base and y'all's to to know um, another side of of our men and women that serve, especially uh, in the police department, especially in our country, given the current climate. Uh, Not all are are the same. Uh, These police officers, uh, they weren't just trying to end this situation. They really believed 
and my wife's love for me. And mm. they really believed in uh, who I was to the community. Mm. And they really put it out there. Come on, Michael, man, we need you. You know, which reminds me of that quote Dr. King gave, judge not by the color of the skin, but judged by the contents of the heart. And apparently the contents of my heart was being judged at that moment. Mm. So I looked at my wife's eyes and after her pleading and asking me for five more minutes, love then snitched on her and told me that uh, she needed me and my son needs me and I need mm. to be here. And I gave her five minutes and today 2020 we're still in those five minutes yes wow let's hear that song then uh this is the war and treaty here on the live wire house party thank you everybody and five more minutes Five more 
That is the war and treaty right here on the Livewire House Party. Michael and Tanya Trotter, thank you so much for for coming on the show and telling your story and sharing that music with us. Thank Thank you you for having us. Their latest album is Heartstown. Uh, Please do check that out. Also, they are scheduled to tour with John Legend in fall of 2021. That was postponed because of COVID. Uh, So let's all agree to wear our masks so that we can then all go see the Warren Treaty when they come to a town near us with John Legend. Amen. Um, All right, before we get out of here, a little preview about what's coming up on next week's show. Uh, We are going to be talking to writers Tessa Fontaine and also Abdi Noor Iftin, and we're going to hear comedy from Moses Storm, and we're going to get some music from a Livewire favorite, the one, the only, Laura Veers. Um, And as always, we want to get your answers to a listener question, which is where our social media manager, Ariana Donneville, comes in. Hey, Ariana. Hey, Luke. Hey, this is working. We got like a ton of Mm -hmm. responses to the listener question about small skills that people have a hard time with. Uh, What's the question for next week's show? This week, we want listeners to tell us about a time they wriggled out of something. (laughs) (laughs) I have so many stories along that theme that, I mean, I could fill the whole show with those. Same. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I don't know about that, Ariana. You seem like a pretty... He's like a pretty straight arrow. Um, so, yeah, uh, do send those answers in, please, via the social media. Also, I understand, uh, Ariana, that Elena and I have uh, some homework for the next show. Yes. You both will be working on your handwriting every day for the next five days. And we'll right. be posting your progress on social media and have listeners vote for who made the most progress. And we're going to announce the winner on next week's show. What do we get if we win? The honor and glory of having uh, improved our handwriting, mm. I think. Can't we get a cupcake from Ariana? I want a cupcake. Oh, yes. We can, we can arrange that. We can yes. Do that. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So everybody, make sure you're checking out the Livewire social media channels for the question of the week and also to see how Elena and I are doing on improving our handwriting. Ariana, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. All right. We'll see you next week. Uh, that is going to do it for this edition of the Live Wire House Party. A big thanks to our guests, Drew McGarry, Demi Adichie-Ibe, and the War and Treaty. Live Wire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Amy McCormick is our development director. And Ariana Donaville is our marketing associate and homework giver. <laughs> our house band is Sam Tucker, Ethan Fox Tucker, and A. Walker Spring, who also composed our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director, and she mixed this episode. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Cultural Trust and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank member Jana Chinamasta of Olympia, Washington. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.
Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.